This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio brings you prescribed listening from our trusted contributors at the Ontario Pharmacists Association. Welcome back. March is Pharmacy Awareness Month, so our trusted contributors at the Ontario Pharmacists Association want you to get to know more about your pharmacist, and they want to ensure that you're taking advantage of many services that uh, your pharmacist can provide throughout the month, throughout the year. I'm here with John Papasturgiu, and uh, as usual, he is ready to take your calls and your questions on all things pharmaceutical. If you have any questions about your medications or anything like that, uh, I'm sure that a lot of people are still having a, a hangover from the flu, even though it's March. Yeah, it's. I, I mean, it's an exciting uh, a week for us. Pharmacist Awareness Week is always uh, something uh, big in our pharmacy community. We try to promote it in the stores, but really, it's about building awareness to uh, you know our customers, our patients. Uh, many people still aren't fully aware of what we're able to offer them. I think uh, you know uh, you know the traditional customer thinks, hey, uh, you know the pharmacy is where I go to fill my script. It's absolutely the place where you go to do that. But on top of that, we, have, we offer a lot of kind of healthcare services, things like medication review, immunization, uh, farm opinions, point of care testing. There's like a whole host of other services uh, that the pharmacist could provide uh, to help you better understand uh, your medication, monitor the efficacy of your medication. Uh, you know, are you tolerating the medication properly? Are there potential side effects? And really, uh, the ultimate goal is to make sure you're on the best therapy possible. And that's really why we're there. So... Um, if you haven't gotten to know your pharmacist very well, take a second next time you're in the pharmacy, say hello, uh, get to know his or her name and try to build that relationship because it's an important part of the team. Well, you know, it, it's interesting. Um, it's also if, if you have a, a relatively new diagnosis and you're trying to stay on top of it. I was just uh, on social media and I saw that a former colleague of mine, Kevin Frankish, um, just diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, which is basically an epidemic. Absolutely. And uh, that would bring a whole host of things to get used to. I know a lot of our listeners also suffer with it, but you can also live with it pretty well if it's under control. And there are also many, many people who have no idea they have it. Absolutely. They have no idea they have it. Or, you know, you you go from being, because diabetes is generally asymptomatic, especially early on. You're not really having any symptoms. So you go from being otherwise healthy, not taking any medications to bam. Now, you know, you have this diagnosis, you're definitely going to go on some type of therapy, maybe one oral medication, maybe two, depending on its progression. You may even go on insulin and we see that happening more and more now. Um, you know, I think it's the patient has now the opportunity to really learn about their disease and spend a little bit more time with their pharmacist. Sometimes you're in the doctor's office, you're rushed, the doctor has many patients to see in a day. We actually have some funding available in Ontario to to kind of spend time with patients. There's something called the diabetes medication review, kind of sit with your uh, 
pharmacist. They they can assess uh, your therapy and and determine if it's optimized. And uh, I think with a disease like diabetes, you want to be on the best therapy possible early on to prevent that progression. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting what you say about that the doctors are rushed. But you know, I know a lot of people. Even though everybody says you know you need to go to the doctor with your questions written out. But uh, a lot of times you can remember what you wanted or needed to ask the doctor uh, as soon as the door is shut. <laughs> uh, well, absolutely. I can't tell you how many times a patient will come into our pharmacy and uh, literally have just left the doctor's office. And, you know, sometimes you'll get a diagnosis or some news that you didn't really understand or really didn't want to hear. So it's kind of a blur. And then they get to me and they present with a prescription. They'll say, I have no idea what this is for. And I'm like, well, you just left the office, right? Mm-hmm. But it, it, it can be a stressful environment. And, uh, um, you know, we try to spend uh, a little bit more time with the patients. That being said, pharmacies are busy as well. That's why, you know, making those appointments to get your medication review, I think, is very important. Okay, uh, let's take a call from Jean. Jean in Mississauga. Hello, Jean. Uh, hello there. Could I just ask a question about uh, uh, Vanica, and it's a hair growth inhibitor. I'm 82 years old and having a terrible time with facial hair. And uh, rather than plucking and shaving and whatever, um, I did get, uh, somebody gave me a, pres- a prescription for this a long time ago, and I'm just wondering if it's a safe thing to use. Yeah, I haven't seen that in uh, a long time. Was it an oral medication or a cream? No, it's a had? cream. Cream, yeah, that's a... Uh... Yeah, I'm, I don't know how effective that is, to be honest with you. I haven't uh, seen a script for that in, in ages. I mean, uh, uh, there are other kind of hormonal type, you know, therapies that will help with, uh, with hair growth. Uh, it may be worth a shot, see if it works. I wouldn't use it over a long period of time if, if you don't see the benefits. But uh, otherwise, it, it is pretty inert. I don't expect any uh, horrible side effects. Oh, okay, but you would recommend like a hormonal... Yeah, I mean, have you gotten any blood work related to... Generally, the first thing you do is kind of get some blood work, see if there's any kind of clear cause for that hair growth. And if there is, uh, we try to target that, you know, that cause specifically. Um, It's not, you know, know, really outside of the normal possibility to treat it with a with the topical product, but I have a feeling that's going to be a temporary solution and you're going to kind of have to keep doing that. Uh, better get some blood work done, see if there's either, uh, you know, a hormonal issue, maybe a thyroid issue, something that's uh, triggering this. I do have a thyroid problem, yeah. Yeah, let's see if we could get those uh, uh, things under control first, maybe manage uh, the growth that way, and if not, we'll look at alternatives. But, um, you know, to, to answer your question, it's not... It's not toxic in any way, so if you want to give it a shot, especially in the short term, you should be okay. Okay, thank you so much. No problem. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. bye-bye. Uh, so, a thyroid problem, What would would that be a slower or fast thyroid? Yeah, well, I mean, it could be both, both actually. Either could affect the hair growth in this situation, probably fast, but it'd be hard to say. I mean, it's something uh, she should get looked at. Uh, thyroid, though, bringing up, you know, thyroid is something that's really underdiagnosed as well. Generally, hypothyroidism, so the low. slow thyroid. The slow, but even, even the hyper, which is kind of the faster-acting uh, thyroid. Uh, you know, especially in, in women, it's something, uh, you know, generally I recommend get screened for, ask if you've never been screened. The physician's probably doing it if you're going in uh, regularly for your appointments, but if you haven't been, it's something that's very easy to miss because in those early stages, it's um, it's uh, uh, not very symptomatic either, right? But as you progress, that's when you start getting well, the symptoms. Well, especially, I think, uh, women in midlife. Absolutely. That's yeah, when and it's it. slow. 
and uh, the slow thyroid. And, and it's things, you know, suddenly you're tired and maybe you gain some weight um, and maybe you think, oh, well, that just happens. But uh, it's it's your thyroid and just getting the right dose. And uh, fast thyroid, I, I used to have a fast thyroid, so I know all about that. Symptoms. Yeah, um, they, not as common to have a fast thyroid, yeah. but it could be even more problematic, to be honest, than uh, than a low, a low thyroid, right? So, well, yeah, I mean, I had it as a, a child yeah. and, and uh, it, I guess, went into remission and then I had it again about <laughs> a while ago. You know, for a year or so. Yeah, but these are conditions yeah. that, if they're identified, they're actually very, very easy to treat. Yeah. And, and I think that's the point here. Uh, uh, get yourself looked at, get yourself screened, and if uh, it's an issue, we'll manage it, and you won't have to deal with the symptoms. Yeah. So if, if I mean, people out there, uh, especially women, people, <laughs> if you're feeling uh, today is International Women's Day, if you're feeling you know, really more tired than usual, uh, you know, that little light bulb should go off. Maybe it's your thyroid. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and these are discussions you could have with your pharmacist as well, right? So if it's uh, something that you haven't gone in to talk about, that's what we're there for. And it's really about, you know, uh, a big part of our job now is health promotion, trying to get people healthier, quicker, so we could prevent, uh, you know, these diseases from progressing or getting you on multiple medications. And a lot of time, it's about identification. We do in my pharmacy a lot of uh, what we call point-of-care diagnostic screening. So we're able to kind of help for some very common diseases by a simple, like, uh, drop of blood, things like identifying if you potentially have diabetes or, or uh, you know, you have uh, a glucose intolerance, so you're on your way to diabetes. Very, very easy to do. We're able to do that. Not every pharmacy does that. We're able to screen for things now like strep, uh, flu, even uh, dyslipidemia, which is high cholesterol. We have a machine called a health tab now that you can actually, with a drop of blood, look at a gamut of uh, these diseases. So that's where I think the profession is going over the next that's few years. That's a lot easier than going to the doctor and getting a requisition and then going to the lab. I mean, absolutely. I and mean, convenience and accessibility. That's, uh, you know, what we're trying to do with these things. That being said, don't run into uh, at your pharmacy and say, John said this is available because it's not available everywhere. It's, uh, I think uh, this stuff is, uh, uh, is starting to become more and more common and pharmacies are definitely starting to offer these services. I think we'll see more of this as our scope continues to increase. Uh, uh, patients are looking for quick answers and the pharmacist is there. You know, you could come into my pharmacy at midnight and get some of this stuff done. So it's, uh, it's uh, easy access to healthcare, and I think that's what we're, we're trying to do. Well, it's not only that. You know, we keep talking about uh, healthcare being pushed to the limit. We don't have enough doctors necessarily in the right place. It's hard to get in. If I have something minor, but something, I don't want to wait three days to see my doctor. And uh, I, just to figure out, is this even worth going to the doctor for? I mean, it, it, it just makes perfect sense to Absolutely. Me. And the pharmacists are really good at triaging. Like if we see something that we suspect is serious, I mean, we're not going to manage it in the pharmacy. We're going to refer you off. But, uh, you know, for a lot of things, we can, uh, we can uh, you know, uh, make a decision on site. In some provinces now, pharmacists have what they call minor ailment prescribing. We're pushing for that here in Ontario. Where we're able to prescribe for some of these more minor conditions. You look at uh, pharmacists in Alberta, they have full prescribing authority there. So they're able to address a lot of uh, disease states. And 
And that's because of, you know, the number of pharmacists that are available. They're very well trained and in, in multiple uh, uh, sites across the country. So hopefully we see that push here uh, in Ontario as well, but I think it's going to take a little bit of time. Okay, uh, we've got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Uh, John is here to take your calls and your questions about uh, whatever conditions you want to talk about, because as we're saying, uh, there are a lot of things that the pharmacist can help you with. It is pharmacists, pharmacy awareness month. Uh, the numbers to call before we go to break 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740, and John and I will be right back. Now, Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio brings you prescribed listening from our trusted contributors at the Ontario Pharmacists Association. Sturgio, our trusted contributor from the Ontario Pharmacists Association. We're talking about pharmacy awareness. We're talking about whatever you want to talk about because he is here to answer your questions. Uh, The point of this thing is that uh, pharmacists know a lot. They can answer a lot of questions and steer you in the right direction and even test for things. Maybe you don't need to go through the whole rigmarole of going to a doctor for everything. Let's go right to the phones. We've got Fred in Brantford. Hi, Fred. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? Uh, Good. Uh, Maybe this may not have anything to do with it, but I know you are a survivor of pancreatic cancer. Correct. And I am a survivor of, of bladder cancer. And here a while back, my friend, since you have the pharmacist there, I know they don't recommend the PSA test for for uh, prostate cancer. Mm-hmm. They don't recommend it. But I was in getting my, my uh, cystoscopic done, which I do every year, and he just happened to be in there. And I said, uh, what are you doing in here? He said, well, I'm having a, my third biopsy on my uh, uh, prostate. He said, they've all come back negative, but my PSA reading is high. And six months ago, he died with pancreatic cancer. Now, I've never had any friend die with pancreatic cancer, and I'm just wondering if there could be a connection between that BSA reading being that high and maybe detecting something in the pancreas. Well, we know uh, PSA is not always entirely specific just for the prostate, right? You could get elevated levels of that for for other reasons. So I've never heard it to be related to the pancreas, but um, there could have been more going on there, maybe some inflammation of the prostate related to the cancer. Who knows? Well, I'm just wondering that because Libby always said uh, that it it was hard to detect uh, pancreatic cancer. It's hard to detect. And there's a lot of controversy over PSA tests now. Because uh, the problem is if you're asymptomatic and there's something going on with your PSA, you might get what they call overtreated, uh, which means you're going to get treatment that may do more harm than good. Uh, I know. I, I and, had that reading high, and I said, give me another two weeks. I did. It come back. It was 3.4. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So that's yes. why, and that's why a lot of people do the watchful waiting thing right. with with prostate uh, with prostate health with prostate cancer. Uh, so uh, it's well, not that, specific. What I was just suggesting was that if if somebody like in his case, the reading was always exceptionally high, but it came back as negative his his biopsies. That maybe since it was so hard to check for pancreatic cancer, that might be the next step they check for. Well, you know, there's been a lot of talk about blood tests that might find pancreatic cancer, but it's difficult because the blood tests are not 
specific. Uh, so no, no, I think yeah. uh, I'm going to take the opportunity, though, uh, to tell people about things that they might not recognize where maybe they should think about pancreatic cancer, though it's a very bad thing to think about. So uh, a lot of kind of non-specific GI-type symptoms. If, if you're suddenly losing weight for no particular reason, if you're jaundiced, you're yellow, um, uh, if, if you're, well, fatigue would, would go with it. Um, John, what else? Yeah, I mean, the, the big one you hit on there was weight loss. If you're starting to lose weight and you're not working out, you're not changing your diet, that's a potentially very serious thing. You've got to go in and, and get that checked out. And that, a lot of times, will trigger the investigations that will identify if you have something else going on. But the problem with pancreatic uh, cancer, like Libby said, it's very, very difficult in the early stages to diagnose because there aren't many symptoms. If there are symptoms, they're quite nonspecific. So it's, uh, it could be a GI thing. Uh, and by the time uh, you diagnose it, in many cases, it's uh, because of where the pancreas is located in the body, it's spread to those surrounding organs. And that's the challenge uh, with pancreatic cancer. And it, it tends to be quite aggressive also. So, uh, uh, you know, if you have any of these kind of warning signs, uh, uh, you know, that we just talked about, go get checked out. It's worth that visit, worth getting an ultrasound maybe and looking into it. But uh, uh, you know, ask the questions if you're not sure. I think that's an important well, message. Exactly. And, uh, you know, with again, with uh, so-called nonspecific GI s- symptoms, get them checked out. Um, because uh, I remember by the time I got a test back H. pylori, which is yeah. an ul- ulcer, and it takes a while to do that test. It's yeah. a breath test. By the time that was negative, I, something's going on, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's funny you bring up yeah, H. pylori. Yeah, like you say, I... I I had a scope done one time, cystoscopic for my bladder. I get it done once a year. And two weeks later, my my family doctor uh, was giving me a test, blood test for for my uh, um, prostate. And that's when it came back exceptionally high. And that's when I said, just wait a couple of weeks. So I talked to uh, my uh, urologist, and he said, no, no. He says, once I go up there with that scope, he says, don't have anything done with your, your prostate. It takes two weeks for it to settle back down. Yeah, yep. and yeah, my reading right. was very, very high. And after the the two weeks I waited, it did come down. That's good. Okay, thanks for that, Fred. Okay, I just thought I'd pass that on. Okay, uh, thank you for that. Okay. Bye bye. It's funny, Libby. You mentioned H. pylori there. Mm-hmm. So one of the the studies I'm involved in now, and uh, we've got quite a bit of data, is is uh, testing patients uh, with these non-specific symptoms for H. pylori. And uh, we have a quick test we could do in the pharmacy now. A quick test? Oh, okay, because it, yeah. it was 10 years yeah, ago for me. Yeah, it was me. a while ago. It was uh, more invasive. Now it's just a finger prick. And I, again, don't say John said he could do this everywhere, but we do. I do do quite a bit of research. And what we found is about 30% of patients coming in that have these non-specific symptoms. And that's why a lot of things are ignored, because it's quite common to get, you know, bloating, distension, yeah. some, you know, gas. And and uh, it could be attributed to multiple different things, and, and some being very minor diet and whatnot. But uh, we, we we have this pilot study underway, and we're finding we're identifying about twenty percent uh, of the patients that we enroll 
were have H. pylori and they've never wow. been this, diagnosed. So I'm presenting this data uh, in Europe very shortly, but it's uh, it caught me by surprise. And that's and who, exciting, yeah, John. And, yeah, thank you. And, and who, what is tell us what's what's the treatment for H. pylori? Uh, it's, it's called an HP pack. It's of course a combination of antibiotics and and what we call a, an acid suppressor, a proton pump inhibitor. Very simple, 14 day th- uh, treatment, and it's gone. Right for the most part, if we get it, it's uh, uh, if it responds, it's gone. And and uh, uh, you know your symptoms resolve. And what we're seeing, and and we're doing a little subgroup analysis in the patients that were positive. It really is uh, those patients that are are newcomers uh, from uh, lived in foreign countries, either recently or not so recently. Uh, they ha- had picked up this bug, never been sc- uh, screened for it, never been treated. And, uh, you know, this group is kind of managing it themselves with the over-the-counter prob- uh, products and whatnot. But really, it's the H. pylori infection. And, and what's concerning is over time, we know H. pylori can become a carcinogen, right? So if you have it for a long period of time, it does increase your risk for gastric cancer. So, um, you know, it's something that if you have had these no non-specific symptoms, go into your physician, talk about it. They could do a quick test now to see if you're H. pylori positive, and it's quite easy to eradicate. Could save your life down the line. Well, you know, that's news to me again. When I was tested for it, it was this weird kind of a breath test, yes. and I think you they had to culture it. So it was it was weeks, or it might have even yeah. been a month. You had to what's get... called the urea breath test, right? So what they measure is uh, urea is a byproduct from the H. pylori metabolism. So, you know, it's picking up the urea when you would do this breath, breath test. Now what we're looking for is really just antibodies to the H. pylori, and that's what, that's what we uh, uh, use. The problem is, if you've been treated for it once, then the test doesn't work because you'll still have those antibodies. you got to get the urea breath test to see if there's any live H. pylori there. And that's for follow-up. Generally, that's what they do after you've been eradicated. They can't really do the blood test because the antibodies are still going to be there, right? I mean, mm-hmm. they're not going to disappear. Your immune system will still recognize uh, uh, them. So w- what happens is you go in for that urea breath test, and they'll know definitively uh, if, uh, if you still have it. But uh, that, that test you had 10 years ago is still around, but there's a quicker way to screen now. And, uh, and I urge people, if you haven't, if you've had these uh, symptoms for a long time, and I, you know, people get, uh, you know, nonspecific GI things the last few days. That's not what I'm talking about. It's these symptoms that have been there for a while, right? And uh, try to get, uh, try to get and yourself screened. You kind of get used to um, having stuff like that oh, yeah. going on. You think, I mean, you know, even I think well, I can just, you know, pop a pepsid so why worry about it the symptoms go away and, and you know we have uh, uh, pepsid we even have like the proton pump inhibitors are available over the counter yeah. now my concern with those and they work great and they work great if you have reflux or you've had these problems but they could also mask a lot of more serious kind of underlying conditions that are in their early stages because you take them and you feel okay right and uh, uh, in reality it could be the, the underlying cause it could be something like H. pylori which again isn't serious uh, early on but if you had it for years and years and years it could increase your risk for gastric cancer. So worth getting treated. And uh, if you've lived in, you know, some European countries, African countries, Asia, you've been, uh, you know, maybe a new uh, person coming into Canada and you have these symptoms, get yourself screened, easy to treat. Okay, well, that is excellent advice. And John, people can pop into your pharmacy and get the test. And that's all the time we have for Fight Back for today. 
Thank you so much, John Papasturgio, our trusted contributor from the Ontario Pharmacists Association. People, remember, Free For All Friday coming up tomorrow, and that is the day before that very contentious PC leadership contest. So I want to hear from you. My apologies to the people whose calls I could not take today. I'm back here tomorrow, and I will take them. So thanks a lot, and we now break for traffic and news. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.